Ezekiel writes the following. Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them this. This is what the sovereign Yahweh says. When any of the Israelites set up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces and then go to a prophet, I, Yahweh, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. Therefore say to the people of Israel, this is what Yahweh, the sovereign Yahweh, says. Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce your detestable practices. This is in Ezekiel chapter 14. I always think of Balaam when I read this. We don't really know a lot about where Balaam came from or his background, but he was not a part of Israel because Moses was leading Israel out of Egypt and to the promised land when he shows up. And yet he is something of a prophet. He does have communication with Yahweh. But here's kind of the story. The king of Moab has heard some very frightening things about these Israelites and how their God, Yahweh, is fighting for them against other gods and the people who follow those other gods. And so he's scared. So he calls Balaam in and he basically says, Look, Balaam, I need you to curse Israel so I can beat them in a battle. Balaam basically says, uh, King, I really can't do that. that. I don't think I can do that. King says, I'll give you a million dollars. A million dollars? Yes, I'll give you a million dollars. Um, okay, that's a lot of money, King, but look, I'll give you I'll give you two million dollars. Two million. Well, let me go ask Yahweh. <laughs> and so he does. He goes to, to, to the Lord and says, can I do this? And the Lord says, in no uncertain terms, clearly, no, absolutely not leave Israel alone. She's mine, period. So Balaam comes back to the king, says, oh, king, I got bad news. The Lord won't let me do it. I'll give you $5 million if you do it. Five million. Um, let me go back and ask him again. Maybe he's had time to think about it. <laughs> and so he goes back to the Lord. And this time he, quote, hears the Lord say, okay, you can go to this certain spot, but no further. Did the Lord say that to him? No. He's hearing, quote, hearing the Lord through his idol. And what was his idol? a big paycheck. And that's how it proceeds. He'll ask the Lord, can I go to here, this place? And he hears, quote, the Lord say, yes, you can go to that place, but no further. The Lord's not talking to him at all. He already told him the answer. No, you may not do anything, period. But Balaam thinks he's hearing the Lord because he's hearing him through his idol, money, big money. 
Do you know any leaders like that? They're claiming to hear the Lord and all this stuff. And I don't just mean the big national guys. I mean, I could name off a lot of people that might shock you what's going on behind the scenes when it comes to just money. And yet, think about what Jesus said about money. Jesus actually had more warning about the problems with money and materialism than he had to say about hell. This is a big issue. It's a significant issue. Uh, Just to finish the story of Balaam, Balaam finally really can't do anything. Even when he does show up and he tries to curse Israel, nothing but, but a blessing comes out of his mouth. So he finally goes back to the king of, of Moab and says, oh, Moab, it wouldn't work. I can't do it. So, But he says, I, I know how to, how to get the Lord to judge them. Really? How would that work? If you, help, if you cause them to get into sexual immorality, the Lord will deal with them. Ah, oh, good idea. So he sends, I guess he sends out a message, text message, email, something, Facebook, you know, to all women who love their country, come forward. <laughs> And you know, if you're if you're a patriot for the, for Moab, go over to the Israelite camp and have sex with the Israelite men. And evidently, a lot of the women said, "Okay, sure. Just you know, I'll take it for the team. I'll do it for the country." And they did. And that's where a guy named Phineas, he's one of the leaders. He sees this wickedness. He sees the judgment of the Lord going to come down on top of them. And so he actually kills an Israelite man and a woman who are in the throes of sex. And that stops the whole thing. The Lord really liked that. Not that it's okay to kill people, of course not. But for Phineas, that's what he had to do to solve the problem. Balaam, quote, heard the Lord through his idol, the very thing Ezekiel is warning about. And so I have a few things I'm going to start with here. First of all, there are no more Ishmaels that the Lord's going to bless. If you want to look up Ishmael in Genesis, you can. He was not the son of the covenant from Abraham. And so, but the Lord cared for the, for the boy and it gave him some blessing. And we have a lot of congregations and a lot of things going on in this country and what I call churchianity, where there seems to be a little, kind of a little blessing on it. But it's not the blessing of Isaac. And so the Lord has stopped doing that. There's lots of congregations. They're cranking up the sound system. They're turning up the lights. They got the light show going and the videos and all this stuff that make it seem like there's life, but there isn't. It's just a show. The Lord's not in it. There's no real life coming from it. None of his. It's not living water. It's water from a cistern. And so no more Ishmael's. The Lord is saying to his leaders, it's my way or no way. You either do it the way I want it and what I expect, or you'll have, I'll have no part in it. No more Ishmael's. Isaiah saw some of this. Chapter 5, verse 20. For these are rebellious people, unwilling to listen to Yahweh's instruction. They even say to the seers, See no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. 
That's what a lot of churches are doing today in this country. They don't want to face the Holy One. They just want to talk the talk. As I said before, the forerunner ministry is a get ready ministry. Be prepared. That's, and of course, John used the, the act of submitting to baptism as a way of getting prepared. In fact, I would even use the uh, this quote um, to kind of depict what the forerunner ministry, the impact, is like. This guy said, in a room where people unanimously maintain a conspiracy of silence. In other words, we just keep doing the same stupid thing over and over and over. But one word of truth will sound like a pistol shot. That's true. Where everyone keeps thinking they're doing the right thing, and then someone comes along like a forerunner and says, no, that's the wrong direction, and then points the right direction. People don't like it. It sounds like a gun went off. Paul says this to Timothy in his second letter. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, in other words, his return, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. I think of this little anecdote. Two men walked into a bar. Bartender said to the first man, what do you have, mister? He said, oh, I have a cold glass of H2O. Bartender poured his drink, served it to him. He gulped it down, wiped his lips with his sleeve. said, oh, man, thank you. I needed that. Bartender turned to the second man and said, what do you have? He said, I'll have some H2O too. Bartender poured his drink, handed it to him. The man gulped it down. In a few moments, he dropped dead. Why? H2O is water. H2O2 is hydrogen peroxide. One oxygen atom changes water that's necessary for life into poison. One atom does that. We have people teaching a lot of stupid things. Oh, it, it, it makes people get all excited but it's just junk. A wise man once said, God offends the mind to reveal what's in the heart. Boy, did he do that to the Pharisees constantly. He offended their thinking because it exposed what was really in their hearts. I knew of a prophetic person who had a, a dream. 
And in this dream, they saw a large group of Christians all facing the same direction. And uh, the Christians were uh, praying from Isaiah 64, basically saying, rend the heavens and come down and do awesome things. And they would repeat that over and over. Then in the dream, the scene kind of widened and the person saw a multitude of angels standing behind this large group of Christians. And every time the Christians would say, you know, rend the heavens and come down and do incredible things, the angels would point at the Christians and say, rend your hearts and not your garments. See, we're not going to get Isaiah 64 without Joel 2. It's that simple. No more Ishmael's, period. My older brother is, or was, he's retired now, a surgeon. And when I was a little kid, he was the product of my dad's first marriage. So I was much younger than him. And so when I started, we started to hang around him during the summers, as I got, I was, I was pretty young, maybe seven or eight years old. I remember asking him one time, what, what, what kind of doctor are you? And he said, well, I'm a surgeon. I said, well, what's, what's that? You know, I'm a little kid. I don't, I, don't, I don't get that. He thought for a moment, and this is what he told me. He said, I cut people to heal them. That's what prophets do. That's what forerunners do. We're not cutting people to hurt. We're cutting to heal. Because people need the cut. They need the cut of conviction. They need to be moved by the Spirit to repentance, to change what they're doing. And in case you don't know, repentance has two parts. First Thessalonians it, it tells us you turn from the evil and then you turn toward doing it God's way. It's not enough to just go, oops, gee, that's not good. Gee, I'm sorry, but you keep doing it. You have to turn from it and then turn toward the Lord and step into obeying him. That's repentance. As Jesus pointed out in Matthew 11, it doesn't matter really what the tune is. Some people think that forerunners are, are playing a dirge, a funeral song. But when Jesus came sort of preaching a happy song, they didn't like that either. A marriage, a wedding song, they didn't like that either. So frankly, I've learned to not be concerned. I'm just going to tell you the truth, call you to it. And then what you do with it is your business. But I would remind you of Matthew 7. Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, when, not if, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. It is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So when, not if, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, it fell with a great crash. 
one of the pastors I worked with, his, um, he had a stepfather. When his stepfather and his mother would come to the congregation where we, there was this outpouring of the Holy Spirit among us, his dad was drawn to it, but he didn't seem to be able to connect. And so there came a point where he realized that part of the issue was that he held some unforgiveness toward his younger brother. Now, the reason for this unforgiveness may sound right because these two men uh, owned a, 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 they were in the oil business and they owned a company that was one of the support services for some of the major oil companies. And, um, the younger brother was in charge of the finances of this company, and the older brother, this pastor's uh, stepdad, he was the CEO. Well, the younger brother did some bad things with the money, illegal things with the money. And when it came to the attention of the authorities, the younger brother disappeared. And so the consequences fell upon this pastor's stepdad because he was the CEO. And he actually spent time in prison. I think uh, it was five years he spent in jail, in prison. And so, you know, this is years later now, and he's wanting to enter in to what's going on in this congregation in the presence of the Lord, but there's this unforgiveness still in him. And so he starts saying, Lord, I don't know how to solve it. I mean, I don't know how to make this right with my brother. I don't even know where he is. I don't know if he's even alive. It's been so many years since this happened but I can't seem to get past it. You know, I need help. So some time went by, and uh, one Friday uh, afternoon when he got home from work, his wife wanted to go uh, do some antique shopping in another state. And um, so they decided, okay, yeah, let's leave now. and We'll drive for a while, and then we'll, you know, when we get hungry, we'll find some place to have supper. So they drove for several hours, and uh, sort of coming through kind of a small town, um, they see a restaurant on the side of the road that had a lot of cars. And so he says, hey, well, that looks like a good place. Look at all the people. Must be good. So they pulled in and uh, went inside, and there was a, a, a waiting list. So the hostess got their names, and you know they would call them when they had a, a, an empty table. So some minutes go by, and this man leans over to his wife, and he sees, says, hey, you see that guy standing over there next to that woman? She says, yeah. He says, I think that's my brother. No way. Says, I think so. It looks like him, but I'm not sure. Right about that time, the hostess calls out the last name and table for two. And this guy and his wife get up and go. <laughs> so <laughs> my pastor's stepdad says, that's my brother. <laughs> and so... um Another few minutes go by, and the hostess calls the last name again, of course, table for two. Now it's the stepdad and his wife's turn, and the only table that was open <laughs> was right next to the table with his brother and his wife. It's the only opening. So the Lord couldn't have put him in a better spot. So the brother and his wife are trying not to look, and this guy and his wife are trying not to look at each other. Finally, he can't take it anymore. And he turns to his brother and he says, I think you're my brother, aren't you? The guy says, yes. I'll shorten the story. There was repentance. Now, what gets me about that story is, 
It's as if this man said, Lord, it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. And the Lord says, oh, really? Is this the needle you were looking for? He found it. Put them together. And healing came. Jesus.